few weeks ago during our uh, Sunday morning worship time, probably about, I want to say it was about three weeks ago, I had this encounter in the midst of worship and a short vision um, that, that God took me into. During worship, I was standing right here on the, on the front row, and, and I felt like I saw Jesus walk in the back of the building, like the back of the room. And he walked in, and he came down this aisle right here on, on my left and, and your right right here. And he stopped in between these two front rows, and he just stood there. And then I felt him say this. You're standing on the edge of something. This church has been here before, but it has not crossed over in the past. And then instantly, I had Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 drop into my spirit. And I felt like I needed to teach on that. I needed, to, I needed as a church family, for us to walk through Romans 12.1. See, when I sensed that Jesus was telling me that we are standing on the edge of something and that it's a place that we've been to before as a church, but as a, as a church family, we haven't taken that step across for whatever reason. My thought, my mind, my heart is not asking God, why didn't we cross over in the past, but, but what are you asking us to do right now? How can we right now take that step and cross over? And what I mean by, by crossing over, I believe that when we take that step and we cross over, that we step into the things that God has promised us. Right? These are stepping into the, the fulfillment of promises that, that have been spoken into this church for decades and decades and decades. I mean, our church is over 80 years old. We've got some years of prophetic promises and prophetic words that have been spoken out over this church that we have not stepped into yet. And, and that's, that's, that's what that is. That crossing over, that stepping over is stepping into those things that, that he's promised us. See, I want to go everywhere that God wants me to go. I want to I follow Jesus no matter where it is that he leads me. I want to follow. I want to experience everything that he has for me. No matter how uncomfortable it is for me. No matter how much that I don't understand what's happening or maybe even what's happening to me. I don't want to miss a thing. See, the cry of my, of my, of my life, my, my walk with Jesus, when I, gave my, when I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 20 years old, almost 21, the, this has been the, 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 the constant, continuous cry and prayer of my heart. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I'll say whatever you want me to say. Jesus, you have my forever yes. Like I told him when I sat in a stadium full of men at a Promise Keepers event, sitting there as, a, as, as not a follower of Jesus, wrestling with what he was saying to me, I sat in that seat and I said to him, Jesus, I'm only going to do this one time. I will never do this again because from this moment on, you have my yes no matter what it is that you ask of me. And I got up from the stands and I walked down to the, to the floor of the stadium and Gave my life to Jesus. See, I believe that the key for us, stepping over into what, what Jesus has for us, crossing over as it were, is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. That's the key for us going forward. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. We're actually going to read it three times in three different translations because I, I want us to really grasp 
what it is that Paul is writing. And so the first, I'm going to read from the Amplified. And so whatever translation you have, just follow along. The, the specific ones I'm reading from will be on the screen. In the Amplified, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent acts of worship. In the New Living Translation, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because, all, because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. And then in the Passion Translation, it says, Beloved friends, what should our proper response to God's marvelous mercies to surrender yourselves to God to be His sacred, living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights His heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. There's a story that's told about King Cyrus. So King Cyrus is the founder of the Persian Empire and you might, you might know him or recognize the name from, from, from the Bible. He's found in the book of Daniel and the book of Ezra writes a lot about, about Cyrus and he's in a few other of the Old Testament books. So there's this story where Cyrus once captured a prince and his family. And when the prince and his family came before him in his throne room, Cyrus asked the prisoner, what will you give me if I release you? And he looked up at the king and he said, half of my wealth. And if I release your children? And he responded, everything that I possess. And if I release your wife? And he said, your majesty, I will give myself. Cyrus was so moved by this man's devotion that he freed them all. And as they returned home, the, the man looked at his wife and and he said, wasn't Cyrus a handsome man? And with a deep look of love and adoration for her husband, she said to him, I didn't notice. I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who is willing to give himself for me. Jesus, the very son of almighty God, the one who is called the king of all kings, willingly gave his life for me. And for you. The Bible says that he was brutally beaten beyond recognition. It actually says in, in the Old Testament in Isaiah that he was, he was unrecognizable as a man. So the man that he was before the crucifixion, he wasn't recognizable as that same person. He was whipped almost to death. And then nailed to a cross. Hanging there, dying for six hours until he breathed his last breath. And the Bible says that he gave up his spirit. So what is my response to Jesus, who wasn't just willing to give himself up for me, but who actually did give himself up for me? See, in the, in the book of Romans, Paul, who's the author, he writes the first 11 chapters. And he writes in these 11 chapters, this is incredible, deep theological teaching and he's teaching about lost humanity, how humanity is separated from God because of our sin, our, our, our mistakes, our errors, our evil, and our wickedness. He, he writes about God's judgment on humanity and, and, and how Jesus is the solution to it all. 
See, it's because of Jesus that we can live in freedom from sin and we can be in right standing or at peace with God. And then starting, so that's all of like the, the first 11 chapters of Romans. And then starting in, in, in chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul pivots from a theological teaching to the practical application of that teaching to our lives. So because of these 11 chapters, of all these incredible things that God has done, that Jesus has done for us, how do, what's our response? How do we live? How do we live considering all that Jesus has done for us? See, what we know can't just stay as knowledge. Because following Jesus isn't about what you know. It's not about how many scriptures that you know. It's not about knowing what you should and shouldn't do like in, in worship and, 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 and in church. It's, it's not about those things. It's not, know, it's not about knowing what to say at the right times. It's more than that. See, those are all important things, but they flow out of how Jesus has touched your heart. See, it all comes from what Jesus has done for me. And in, in, in response to what he's done for me, now this is how I live my life. See, he touches us on the inside, and we're changing transformed from the inside to, to the outside. It's not the other way around. We don't start to act like, a, you know, act like a follower of Jesus, talk like a follower of Jesus, look like a follower of Jesus, and then all of a sudden that's what we are. See, he changes us from the inside out. That's where real and true transformation comes from. So Paul writes in, in this first verse of Romans chapter 12, I urge you. Now this, he's like, this isn't like a suggestion. It's like, hey, this would be a really good idea. This is a good thing for you guys to do. But Paul is, is literally, that means he's pleading. He's begging us to respond to the mercy of Jesus. See, the mercy of Jesus is so incredible, so great, that there's but one response. I beg you, he says, please, please allow the mercy of Jesus to touch your heart and respond to him with the one and only response that, that's, that's adequate. Give yourself to him as a living sacrifice. See, God has been merciful to us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And all we can do in response is offer ourselves back up to him. That's all we have to give. See, Jesus doesn't want much. He wants it all. Right? It's all of him for all of me. Because he doesn't give himself in pieces, right? You don't get a little bit of Jesus here, and then after you've walked with him a little bit, you get a little bit more and a little bit. No, no, no. He doesn't parcel it out. When you say yes to Jesus, you get all of him, and he just wants all of you back. So we give ourselves back to him as living sacrifices, which, if you really think it through, if you haven't been in church for a long time and are not familiar with that phrase, it's an oxymoron. It makes no sense because you can't have a living sacrifice because when you sacrifice something, it's dead. So you kill it in the process. We are so far removed from the Old Testament and from the things that happened in the Old Testament that many of us, we don't really understand what's taking place when we read through the law, we read through the stories of animal sacrifice. Like we, uh, tr truthfully, we, we, we don't fully grasp all that's taking place. See, most often people look at that 
and they see, they see the animal sacrifice as a way to make God, who's very angry with us, this animal sacrifice is a way to make him happy. Somehow it's supposed to make him feel better about all the mistakes that we've done. It's, the, it's this thought process of we're just people in the hands of an angry God. See, that's the way that we look at the Old Testament. Because we've broken his laws, because we've sinned, which is literally it's just wickedness and it's evil, that sacrifice is supposed to make him feel better about me. But the thing is, this isn't rooted in the Bible. But really, if it finds its, its roots in, in, like, in like Greek mythology where there's many gods out there and they're all angry for some reason or another and then people just try and do whatever they can to make the god happy so that they don't, they don't, they don't do like mean things to, to people. And so they sacrifice animals to somehow make these, all these gods happy. And sometimes, like in, in some situations, they would sacrifice people just to make them happy. Here, we're going to offer up this one person. Take all of your wrath out on that person so we all, we all escape the wrath. That's not the Bible. See, people, all of us, you and me, all of us have wronged God. And we allowed evil to enter his perfect creation. If you go right back to the, those pages of your Bible, the very beginning that stick together, Genesis chapter 1, God created it and he said it was good. It was perfect. There was no injustice. There was no wrongs. There was no unrighteousness. It was just, it was all good. It was good. And then by our choices, we allowed evil to come into his perfect creation. There's only one way. To remove this evil, you have to remove the source. What's the source? We are. Right? It's now, now, like, you might be thinking, well, it was the serpent, because in the beginning it was the serpent that, that tempted Eve. That's not really the problem, because Eve had a choice. It wasn't a new choice. She always had that choice, because who put the tree in the garden? God. Right? He said, this is the one thing you can't do. Do not eat of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God put the, the tree there because you can't have love without choice. So he put the tree there. He said, this is the only thing that you can't do. And so when the serpent came along, the serpent wasn't the problem. The problem was that Adam and Eve chose to do the one thing that God said don't do. And then all of humanity from that moment on, we've just continued to do the same thing. Doing the, the things that God says, hey, don't do that. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 14 says that life is in the blood. And it's given for our atonement, which is just like, it's, it's a fancy word that means to cover someone's debt. That's what atonement means. So the blood of the animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament covered people's mistakes. It covered the evil of their lives and the evil that they allowed into creation. It covered their debt to God. See, but it was all pointing to something. It was all a symbol of something else. It was all pointing to Jesus, who would come not just to cover, but to cleanse, but to take away. Right? See, the, the, the blood of the animals, it just covered. It covered it up. But the blood of Jesus takes it all away. He cleanses it. Jesus is the perfect atoning, cleansing sacrifice. 
another one is not needed. So when Paul says be a living sacrifice, this is not what he's talking about. It's not so that you can be made at, at, at peace with God. That's not what he's talking about because Jesus did that once and for all. Only one time, it's never needed again. But what we are is we are a sacrifice of honor, a sacrifice of acknowledgement back to God. And we literally, we, we don't literally die in this sacrifice because we are living sacrifices. But when an actual sacrifice is made, the entire animal was given. So if we are to be a living sacrifice, it means nothing is held back from Jesus. What I sacrifice is no longer mine. And what am I sacrificing? Me. Right? So I am no longer mine, but I've given myself all back to Jesus. Now here, this is where we get into trouble. Because we accept Jesus and we want to follow him because, I mean, in all honesty, who doesn't like Jesus? Like most people really like Jesus because he's got this great message of love. Love one another. He's got this great message of forgiveness, right? He feeds people, like takes a little boy's lunch. He feeds 5,000 people. I mean, who doesn't like lunch, right? Free, like if I just announce, hey, free lunch for everybody. We've got Chick-fil-A, which they're not open on Sundays, so we know that. It's, it's, the, it's the bane of our existence, right? Chick-fil-A not open on Sundays. But, but you know, Chick-fil-A for everybody. If I just announce that, most people be like, oh, that's pretty great, right? This is Jesus. He feeds people, and he gets miraculous catches of fish, and he, he raises the dead, and he cleanses the leper. He does all, does all these incredible things, and he welcomes everyone. Even the really, you know, what people would be like, they're really bad. The tax collectors. Nobody likes them, not even today, right? Like, like the, the prostitutes, He's eating dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes. Who doesn't like the story of Jesus? See, but this message of love and forgiveness, and, you know, it, it makes me feel better. I feel better about myself. I now have a community or I have a family that I can belong to, and I like all of these things. And so because I like all of these things about the message of Jesus, this is what I do. I give part of myself. And it's usually the part that goes to church two out of four weeks of the month. That's the part that we give to, to Jesus. It's the part we give to God. Is, is, this is the part where I'm going to try and be a good person. I'm going to try and be nice. I'm going to really try not to have road rage on the freeway. And I'm really going to try not to yell at my children and be a good employee. This is, this is what I'm going to do because I like the message of Jesus, the love, and the forgiveness. So I like this. But the problem is, the real issue is, is that Jesus doesn't want part of you. Jesus wants all of you. Because there's no half sacrifices. Like literally for the, the sacrifice, they cut the sheep's throat. There's no halfway here. Once that cut's made, it's over. Like the whole sheep is given. You can't give half yourself back to Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So if you want to follow Jesus, then give up. Deny yourself. You set aside all of your selfish desires and you pick up your cross and follow him. Now, picking up your cross is, was, not, it was not a necklace that you wore around your neck. It was, it was not like a t-shirt. It wasn't a fashion statement. This was an instrument of death and torture. That's what they understood. We, like, we, 2,000 years removed from what was taking place, we miss that. That that's what 
pick up your cross and follow me. Because not only was Jesus beaten and almost whipped to death, but he picked up his cross and he carried it to the place where they nailed him to it. And again, it's not that we all literally die to follow Jesus. Although, some, some people lose their lives when they choose Jesus. But before that death, there's a death to self. Not what I want. But Jesus, it's what you want. People everywhere are doing whatever they can to live their best life. And it shows on social media. This, go to the next slide. This is just a brief search of the hashtag, live in my best life. <laughs> right? Living my best life on Instagram is about eating incredible food. It's about going great places. It's about having friends. It's about having these experiences and these toys. So every one of these pictures was followed with the hashtag, living my best life. And so if you're on social media, this is what it looks like to live your best life. In so many ways, so many ways, the kingdom of God is backwards compared to our world. Because according to the Bible, the only way to live your best life is to lose it. It just doesn't make for a great Instagram post. So no one's posting that. Right? Losing my life, hashtag living the best one. Like, no one's, you get no likes. If you're trying to build a, an Instagram base of, of followers, you get no likes on that one. To give up living for yourself and live 100% for Jesus. That's where life is found. See, life is found where I am so in love with Jesus that I'm so thankful for what he's done for me that I found the thing that's worth dying for. And when you found the thing that's worth dying for, that's when you really start living. My life verse, this is what I, what I hold on to in my life, is Galatians 2.20. I've shared it with you before. So I'll share my verse with you. So you can use it if you want. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So this, is, this is how I try to live my life. But I miss it so, so often. I fail. Why? Because my selfishness is really stubborn. That selfish part of me just refuses to die and to go away. See, because I want what I want when I want it. And I don't need to have a reason. I just want it. That's my reason. See, and what, what, what my selfish nature wants is like never what Jesus wants for us. Because it runs counter. <laughs> it's like... The life of the spirit and the life of the flesh, the Bible says they are opposed to each other. They don't walk together. So when you start walking this life with Jesus, you're going to have this wrestling inside of you. Right? Because, and this is where it comes back to baptism. You come into the tank and you, st you stand or you sit here when you're, you're dry. This represents your life before Jesus. And then we put you all under the water and that represents dying with Christ. I am dead. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. 
And you come back up out of the water and it symbolizes that new life in Christ. Where's the old selfish life? Like I would say, where's my old self, selfish man? He's in there. I leave him behind. But the problem is, is that he keeps getting up out of the tank. And I got to take him back over there. And you're like, and like I, I, I jokingly said this, I jokingly said this, said this to Paul this morning. I said, sometimes what we do is we, we put people under and then as we start to bring them back up, we push them back down again real fast. And then I said, no, let's, we, don't, we don't actually do that. So when I struggle with my stubborn selfishness, I begin to lean into his presence. I begin to call out on Jesus. Because I recognize it. No one has to tell me that I'm being selfish. I fully know. And I pray, Jesus, not what I want, but what you want. What do you want for me in this situation? I submit, I yield, I give up. And what I've learned, I didn't know this right at, right at the beginning of my walk with Jesus, but what I've learned is that what Jesus has for me is better than anything that I've ever had for myself. The best dreams and, and desires that I've had for myself pale in comparison to everything that Jesus has given me and everything that I've done with him. But the problem with a living sacrifice is that it crawls off the altar. And we got to crawl back up there over and over and over again. You know, I've yet to meet a person that follows Jesus halfway that's really living. They're not joyful. They're not content. They don't have peace. They don't have purpose. They're not full of love for Jesus, and they're definitely not full of love for other people. But the flip side is, I have yet to meet someone that's truly living, like the, the living sacrifice life, that isn't full of joy, that isn't full of contentment, that isn't living like the purpose that God created them to live, that isn't full of love for Jesus and full of love for people. Paul goes on and he says, be a living sacrifice, live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. See, to live in holiness means to be blameless. It means to be pure and moral according to what the Scripture says. Not our own ideas and thoughts. We talked about this several weeks ago. But, but according to what the Bible says. It's God's standards. You know, earlier in, in those first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul wrote, makes this statement. He says, don't present your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't engage in the things that run contrary to the things that God approves of. Instead, use your bodies as living instruments of righteousness. Do the, do the things that pleases the heart of your Father. See, living lives of righteousness and biblical morality is how we experience the things that delight God's heart. Listen, Jesus isn't a killjoy. He has the most joy. But the world doesn't, they, they, like, we don't get that. That doesn't make any sense to us. People say, like, oh, you go to church? Well, you have no fun. Trust me, I've lived the not going to church life all night long and then woken up in the morning and not realizing where you are. That, that everybody, like that's, that's apparently a lot of fun. I've done all the selfish things to, to everything that I wanted, right? I was a single guy. I had, uh, I, I had a sports car. I had a, a, just a regular pickup truck and then I had a hot rod pickup truck. I was one guy that had three vehicles and I couldn't afford any of them. 
I didn't make enough for one of them, but I had three of them. I've done all of these things. And it wasn't fun because you wake up in the morning and you feel empty and you don't understand why and you feel sad. And so you do all these things to fill that hole in your life. Jesus is the most fun. I've never had more fun in my entire life. He just doesn't want you to engage in the things that will end up destroying you. That's what it means to live in holiness and live in righteousness. It's not You're just not going to do the things that eventually kill you. Man, God is so horrible. He doesn't want you to do the things that will kill you. Or the things that will hurt the people you care about. See, we may not understand and we may not see the end of the road. Now, if you're a parent... And you've got kids and they want to do something and they don't understand why they can't, you know, like why they're going to get hurt, why I shouldn't ride my skateboard down the steep hill with no helmet on. As a parent, you're like, I see the end of this. It's head through the car. I mean, that's not a good idea, right? But they're upset, right? And they freak out because they don't understand. And so sometimes as, as full-grown adults, we freak out and we don't understand because God's saying, no, 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 no. But he sees the end of the road and he just knows it's going to kill you. It's going to hurt you. See, this is where trust comes in. If you find joy and pleasure in the things that God finds joy and pleasure in, then you'll experience the ultimate in satisfaction, the ultimate in fun, and the ultimate in, 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 in pleasure in life. Because following Jesus isn't boring. It's a wild adventure if you're doing it right. So if you're not experiencing that, then I'm just going to tell you right now you're doing it wrong. You're not following Jesus the right way. If you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. We're supposed to have fun in church. We're supposed to laugh. And we're like, it, get a little bit crazy. Get a little bit wild. Right? There was a revival. There was a revival at a church in Toronto, in Canada. And it, they, 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 they called it the Toronto Blessing. And one of the things that they said often, and this lasted for like 15 years. It's, it was incredible. One of the things that they would say is let the children play. That's us. Just let the children play. Just play with your father. I mean, what father doesn't like to get on the floor and play with his kids, right? Like, my kids are older now, but when they were little at Christmas time, we would get up at, like, so early. <laughs> so we would get up at so early, and I wouldn't get off the floor until 2 o'clock in the afternoon because I was playing with my kids. If that's what I like to do with my kids, what do you think that our Heavenly Father likes to do with his kids? Come on, let the children play. Have a little bit of fun. All of this, Paul says, is our rational, logical, intelligent, and spiritual act of worship. No one's asking you to check your mind at the door when you come in here. Because Paul says this is logical. This is rational. This is the intelligent response to all that Jesus has done. It's the only proper response to all the mercy that Jesus has poured out upon my life. Because I was, I was destined before Jesus to a life of destruction, of pain, of turmoil, of hurt to myself and to the people that I really cared about. And then Jesus found me. I didn't find him. He came looking for me. And I don't deserve anything that he's done or anything that he's ever given me. None of us do. We're not entitled to a thing. Right? The Bible says that before Jesus, we were actually enemies of God. You weren't indifferent to him. Even if you didn't know about him, you were his enemy, living your life in opposition to him. And then Jesus came. While we were enemies to him, Jesus came and gave his life for us to provide a way so that we could be his friend and that we could join the family of God. 
Jesus gave it all for you, and the only appropriate response is giving your all back to him. All of Jesus for all of me. Family, we're standing on the edge of something incredible. Jesus has brought us here, and it's a place that we've been here before. As a church family, we've put our toes in this line before. And it doesn't matter to me why in the past we didn't cross over. I don't live in the past. I just feel like I know how we cross over today. It's the living sacrifice life. I can only communicate what, what I feel Jesus is telling me. And we move into all that he's promised by what I like to call being a laid down lover of Jesus. I lay it all down because I love him. Nothing is held back. We give it all for him no matter what it is that he asks because he's worthy to receive it. No price is too great considering what Jesus has done and given to us. Not even our lives. Not many will be asked by Jesus to do that. It's such a small fraction of people that are asked to lay their lives down. But let me tell you, if he asks, he's worthy. He's worthy. Because nothing compares to Jesus and what he has for us for all of eternity. I think the scary part is, is that we don't understand eternity and we don't understand what's on the other side of this life. And I know it's extreme. We don't often talk about literally laying your life down for Jesus, being willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. But when you realize how incredible Jesus is, when you've gazed into his eyes and you understand how beautiful he is and that you found something worth dying for, you really start to live. And you'll only go as far as your surrender will take you. See, the moment that I stop surrendering is the moment that I stop growing. It's the moment that I stop going forward with Jesus. So I'll only go as far as my surrender. But I'm telling you this, you will never regret the living sacrifice life. It costs you everything, but he gives back so much more extravagantly over and above anything that we ever give up. And I, to be honest, I think I've thought about this over the last few weeks is there's a song that mentions something about, about this. It's called uh, You Remain. Um, and it's on an album that Upper Room put out. And, and it, they're singing about, I don't want to miss a thing. I don't want to waste an opportunity to turn it all back into praise. And then they, they, they sing about how when I see your face, I wish I would have given more. See, I think no matter what you give up in this life, the moment this life is over and you see Jesus face to face, you're like, oh, I wish I would have given more. Because now I understand how worthy you are. Now I understand how awesome you are. But here's the thing. And I do not want to communicate this. So I need to state it. The living sacrifice life is not about pain and suffering, but it's about joy and celebration. Like I said before, if, if it's all about pain and suffering and actual sacrifice, all the things that you're giving up, then you're doing it wrong. The people that really live this way, 
They don't talk about all the things that they've given up and all the things that they've sacrificed. They talk about how awesome Jesus is and all the experiences that they've done and all the things that they've got to see. So who's ready to cross over? Who's ready to take that step? Who's ready to be a laid down lover of Jesus? Who's ready to live the living sacrifice life? Because this is the call of Jesus for our church in this moment. This is the call of Jesus in this generation. Like I think for far too long over the past several years, many years, we've, we've like watered down like the, the call of the gospel to pick up your cross and follow him. Right? This is what it means. There's no regrets. This is the call of Jesus in this generation. Who's in? Jesus said, come and follow me. I want you to close your eyes and stand up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And as they come, don't get distracted by the moving around. I don't know everyone here, and I don't know everyone's situation and where you're at with Jesus. And so I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to him. And so if you're here and you just simply want to say yes to Jesus, maybe you have in the past and wandered away and started doing your own thing, or this is all brand new for you, I just simply want, to, want you to lift your hand and say, yeah, I'm saying yes to Jesus today. Yeah, I see those hands. I see those hands. Yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, I see those hands. Yes. 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 Jesus. I thank you that that Yes to you is the invitation for you to flood their life. All of you for all of us. And I pray that you would fill them to overflowing right now. You'd fill them to overflowing right now. And this is, this is how we're going to end the service. A little bit different today. And I don't want you to feel like in any way, listen, hear me now, this is not manipulation or, or peer pressure, right? You do you. You make your own choices. But if you're ready to live right, the living sacrifice life, then I'm going to ask you to come forward and we're going to spend a moment, we're going to spend a moment in worship right here down at the front. And we're going to take communion together. And so if you're like, yes, that's the life that I want to live. And listen, if it's nobody, I'm going to be down here. You can all go home and have lunch. It's okay. But if you're ready to live that living sacrifice life, all of, all of me for all of him, no matter what he asks, then come. And as you come, yeah, you can grab, grab a communion, like the cup and the, and the wafer, and we're going to take communion together. Ryan's going to lead us in worship. The, the incredible thing about doing communion at the end and water baptism at the beginning and talking about the living sacrifice life in the middle is it all points to the sacrificed life. It all points to Jesus. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's water baptism. The, the, the communion, the, the, the cup, it represents his blood. And, the, and the, the wafer, the cracker, represents his body. It's about what he gave for us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. It all points to him. It all points to us laying down our lives and saying, Jesus, whatever you have for me. And it may not happen instantly, but there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to look back and you're going to say, I, I, can't, I can't even believe all that you've done with my life. So if you've got the cup, 
You can go ahead and open it up, and there's a little plastic on the top and tinfoil below. The plastic just releases the wafer, and the tinfoil releases the, the juice. And this is how communion goes. In the last night that Jesus was alive, he gathered his, his very best friends and, and all on the face of the planet together, and they had a meal. And during the meal, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and he broke it. And then he said, this is my body. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And then they ate the bread. So if you, you can go ahead and eat that. And then it says, he took the cup. And he said, this is, this is my blood. This represents my blood. Which they didn't understand because they didn't understand what was coming, but he did. But Jesus said, this represents my blood. And it's the new covenant. It's all these promises that I'm making to you. They're found in this. And then he said, take it and drink it. You can just put them on the stage. We'll collect those after. And then I want you just to lift your hands. Jesus, here we are. We are ready. We are stepping over. We are your living sacrifices. All of you for all of me. Take us across that line. We're stepping over. We're following you wherever you lead us.